0: Hello again, Mitch Michaels here. Time for another episode of the Money Mitch Effect Sports Podcast. It's Wednesday and it's going to be a great show. Got Rob Crowder coming on to talk college football. We recap a wild week six, look ahead to week seven, talk about the LSU Florida game that still has not been played. I just checked that actually, it still has not been played. And we look ahead to some rankings down the road. Not going to want to miss that. And then Eric Roberts is gonna come on the line to discuss the NHL season, which faces off tonight, opening night in the NHL tonight. I can barely contain myself. We're gonna talk at length about the Los Angeles Kings, Sidney Crosby's concussion issues, and look ahead to who we might see winning some hardware and ultimately going to the Stanley Cup Finals. It's the Money Mitch Effect, and it begins right now. Okay, it's time to talk college football with Rob Crowder back again. Now officially a recurring guest. Your second appearance on the Money Mitch effect. Thanks for coming back. Definitely, definitely. I'm glad to glad to be a recurring theme. Glad I didn't scare you off the last time uh, we were on. It was it was good. Oh man, you could get me to talk about college football anywhere, man. So I want to lead off with uh, a couple interesting notes of the past week, week six, and. Give due to the top team in the country first, Alabama. Alabama Arkansas was a sleeper, a good game for a lot of teams, but Bama set the tone early, wins 49 to 30. And Rob, I, I worry as somebody not rooting for Alabama, like pretty much the entire country outside of Tuscaloosa is, that they had their vulnerable game against Ole Miss
1: right at the ship, corrected some errors, and they're cooking now. They look scary good. I, I, I would honestly say the only team. To me, that has has looked that solid is Ohio State. Um, Clemson also looks really solid as well, and, and Louisville's dangerous. But Alabama just the the one weakness was, as you mentioned, the Ole Miss game, and and that was what a twenty one point deficit, and they stormed yeah. back yeah. and uh, made you forget that they were ever in a deficit. You know, being vulnerable at the beginning of games has been an issue
0: at times, but they corrected it after Ole Miss and Arkansas. Didn't know what hit them. It was. It was ugly early. They were down. They, were, they got that 20-plus point lead, but it could have been worse. They fumbled on their first possession after moving the ball. They're running well. Jalen Hurts has assumed the job. Um, Arkansas is a solid team. I don't know. You know, Alabama does get Tennessee next, as we'll talk about, but I don't know if they fear anyone, and I don't know how tested they're going to be all the way through SEC play.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the SEC doesn't... I, I mean, as far as SEC years go, it seems like a down year, but... Tennessee could come out and shock them, but based on the way they've been playing first halves, who knows? Yeah,
0: not to spoil our preview, but Tennessee starts the way they've been starting, and
1: Alabama plays the way they've been playing, they're not going to pull the miracle up. So yeah. against Alabama, it's just not going to happen. If it comes down to talent versus talent at the end of a game, I, th- I think it's pretty clear which cream's going to mm-hmm. rise to the top and that. We'll, we'll go to Tennessee
0: uh, A&M in a little bit, but I want to give credit to our credits to Rob. The upset of the week, Navy, knocking off Houston, the number six team in the country. And just to put this into perspective, Navy hadn't beaten the top ten team in over 30 years. They beat Houston. The brigades crashed the field. It was, uh, it was a great, great scene. But before we get into Houston, the ramifications there, I just want to give props to Navy, We'll never know what it's like to even play a sport at a school like that with all the duties you have military-wise, academic-wise, but Navy coming up big and getting the win of the decade for their program.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, whenever you play one of the service schools, you got to defend that triple option and stay disciplined, and I think I think that really bit Houston in the behind. They've, they've definitely thrived on making the best of chances, but this time it wasn't really a chance thing. It's like, you do this or they're getting this yardage every time. Yeah. So you've got to stay true and lock on your man, and and clearly they uh, they didn't scheme it right, and and uh, it, it's bad for Herman, but uh, I think it's good for Texas, uh, you know. Yeah, if, it's good for teams <laughs> looking for a head coach. Yeah, exactly. I, I think this loss kind of kind of hurts Herman's stock, but not much. Well, it might put Herman
0: in that Bobby Petrino case, a class of. Is he going to coach the bowl game now? Let's just let's hold off and see with a, with a loss on his resume. But when you play Navy especially, um, they run the triple option. We, we talk about defending it, but the interior lineman Rob, having to deal with all those cut blocks for four quarters, you have to be concentrated and disciplined. Navy jumped on him early and didn't let go. And that was another case of a team that was an underdog getting the lead and not wilting. They just kept going. They weren't trying to play conservative. They kept putting points on the board so great to see for navy but for houston and i'm not sure if you share the same sentiment but i'm not officially ready to write off their playoff chances because louisville's on the schedule and with louisville on the schedule if louisville comes in with one loss and houston beats them impressively not saying it's going to happen but if
1: they do i don't think they're dead and buried i i I would agree with that i mean that i mean Lamar Jackson's the runaway Heisman favorite right, at the moment, yeah. so if you kind of make him marginalized and and come out with a good win, that, that definitely ups your stock heavily. And the fact that it's not at the beginning of the season is also massive because oh, yeah. a loss at the end of the season or a win at the end of the season is way more valuable. So uh, it, it's definitely possible. And Houston's going to be coming into that, or Louisville's going to be coming into that game needing to win
0: and, and play a statement too. So they, we will know what both teams' best is after that game. It's not okay. going to be a case of a team writing it off. Uh, but yeah, Houston going down to Navy, 46-40, to 40, a big win there. Uh, you like to see certain teams win, just to feel-good story. Yeah. And that was certainly one of those. So Tennessee, Texas A&M talking now with Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch Effect, college football week six. That was the game that dominated the afternoon. Uh, it was about five hours long, so it was the entire afternoon. But it was an AM double overtime victory. And it's rare to see a game where AM comes away with a 45 38 victory with all the Tennessee turnovers. I believe it was seven in the game, um, where AM still couldn't put them away. Tennessee dug themselves an early hole 21 7 in the first half, yet they came back. But this time their luck ran out in double overtime. Rob, your initial reaction to the well finally drying up for the volunteers.
1: Yeah, I mean, you come in and, and you're not solid off the top and and that can only get you so far and against a team like A&M, they were able to to hold them off finally. I mean, uh, if the guy doesn't fumble at the end of the game uh in in a, you know, getting it punched out from behind. I mean, yeah, that game was nail in the coffin, you know.
0: Don Beebe, as you mentioned.
1: Exactly. So, you know, you get you lose five fumbles out of six and you have two picks, you're lucky that it's even within a touchdown because that's seven possession swings. If you play just field position, like five punts is equal to seven points. But with turnovers, it's a completely different ballgame. And the fact that it was even that close baffled me. This was a crazy game. Um, It was good at times, but there was a lot of sloppiness in
0: it. The turnovers you mentioned. Josh Dobbs, we've been saying it for weeks. He's got to come out ready to play. I I know he's got great resolve, but... That's only gonna get you so far. Um, you know, not ready again, down two scores again in the first quarter. They couldn't stop A and M on the on the ground with Trayvon Williams going for two hundred yards. Uh, but why did AM take their foot off the gas? That boggled my mind too. They yeah. got the lead, they started creating turnovers on D and they just started going real, real conservative and almost bit them in the end.
1: Yeah, yeah. They they didn't keep the head of steam. I mean, they dropped twenty one in the first quarter and then didn't score at all in the second. Um, and, and left it a two-touchdown game. And, you know, Tennessee had two turnovers in the air, and then Alvin Kamara had two on the ground. You know, that sh- those alone you should be trying to capitalize off of immediately, and and they just didn't. And it, it almost came back to bite them in the butt because Tennessee at the end of that game had more heart than any team I've ever seen. But, you know, if, yeah. you, if, you, if you had a little of that at the beginning, you wouldn't have been in that hole and had to have dug out. And we saw it all. We saw ejections. We saw uh,
0: <laughs> a lot of crazy uh, athletic plays by both offenses. Defenses getting burned badly. I, it's funny, I almost come away with this game with the same, and maybe even more questions for both teams where they are on a national stage. Because Tennessee could be right there with a win over Alabama again if they could bounce back. a ms undefeated, but I'm not entirely sold on them either. So a great win, a gutty win. But not the most beautiful
1: brand of football for six quarters. No, not at all. I I think we're going to find out really quickly uh, what Tennessee's made of when they meet up with Bama. So let's look at the polls
0: right now, Rob. And no surprise Alabama at number one getting 56 of the 61 votes uh, in the AP poll, 58 of the 63 in the coaches poll, and deservedly so. AP ranking has Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, that's flipped in the coaches' poll, with Michigan and Washington universally rounding out the top five. That's when it gets tricky. You have A&M as the last uh, major unbeaten, I should say, unbeaten in that top class. At 6, Louisville with one loss, 7, Wisconsin down to 8, Tennessee 9, Nebraska 10, with Baylor on the outside. So a lot to look at on this list, and the first thing that jumps out at me, and I'm and, um, Intrigued here, four Big Ten teams in the top ten. Now, I, I'm going to be honest as a Big Ten fan, Rob. I haven't been paying much to, of attention to Nebraska. It's a nice story, but I don't know if they've been tested yet.
1: No, I agree so, completely. I I don't think Nebraska and uh, Wisconsin will really know 100% where they stand until they run into Wisconsin. I'm a
0: little more. I mean, they had a brutal schedule early, and True. trails with one loss at the Big House by seven is is a pretty good showing. Um, you know, Nebraska, it's not really their fault. Everyone thought that Oregon game would be a lot better. Right, right. <laughs> and that looked like a good one at the time, and the wheels have fallen off, and they could be in the market for a new coach very soon. But Louisville's seven. you know, they're right there. It's not going to take much to get back in there.
1: Oh, not at all. And if, if Jackson keeps just tearing up everyone he's playing against, I think Louisville's going to be up there real quick. Um, A&M's remaining schedule, it's, it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, an SEC schedule is, is brutal, so... You could lose to a you know a second tier so-called second tier SEC team any day of the week. Um, Washington for surprisingly looks unbelievable. And now it seems like they're playing
0: for the Pac-12 playoff spot, which yep. is a lot of pressure. And while they look great, and I wasn't you know a bit, bit highly invested in Washington until this season, I want to see how they can do down the stretch. I'm not saying they can't, but this is you know uncharted territory for. It. Washington in their purple rain uh, defense, which is an awesome nickname. I yeah, totally. Uh, one one final note on this ranking, Rob, and I don't mean to pour salt in the wound, but no Big Twelve teams in the top ten. You got Baylor at eleven in the AP.
1: And you I think that's changing? generous. Think I that's think 11's generous? generous. I mean, Baylor almost got knocked off, uh, uh, you know, last week and or Canvas? two weeks ago. Yeah, and uh, Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Big Twelve this year. It's definitely it's definitely down. TCU uh almost <laughs> pulled a close one with Kansas as well. So um it's 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 just a shakeup going on there. Um, Oklahoma State has it's two losses and uh OUS two losses already so and Texas is out of any contention so do you see anybody in that maybe eleven to twenty five range that you could say could be making
0: a move in the next couple weeks?
1: Um I, I still think Houston and Florida State still have a lot to play for I think Florida State's played themselves out of a playoff bid, but they could still, you know, compete with the ACC. Um, and yeah, West beat. Virginia, yeah. who knows? <laughs> Florida State beats Clemson; they're
0: right back in the top ten. Yep. Um, Ole Miss is another one where they had a brutal early. I mean, Florida State game; they, they lose that, and then Bama, but they could definitely go on a string of wins
1: there with that offense. Um, and Florida's got a top, you know, a top ten defense, so. Who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, their big issue is scoring points. So. I think that's the common
0: theme here. Some of these SEC teams, I'm looking at Auburn at 23. You know, They had tougher games early, but they're going to get to some easier parts of the schedule. A couple signature wins you don't know. And Virginia Tech, You know, I was dead wrong on that game last week. And I think as they dismantled North Carolina, I'm going to make every prediction now with unless it rains, then all bets are off. Right. Because that was uh, quite the monsoon that they were playing in.
1: I, I think the biggest surprise to me is PJ Fleck in Western Michigan coming in at twenty four. Yeah. Now they were
0: heavy on the they were they were favored in the Mac this year. You know, anybody that knows me knows I'm about Mac in football. But I don't think a lot of people saw this coming in ranking ranked twenty fourth and putting on a show this year through their first six games.
1: Yeah, I mean PJ Fleck and his whole road the boat mentality and, and selling that brand to his players, he's he's cultivated a, a culture of winning that never existed at Western Michigan, so I, I think Kalamazoo's kicking right now, you know? Yeah, Kalamazoo, you know, it's a uh, great
0: great place in Michigan, you know, I'm sure they're, they're doing just wonders over there. All right, talking with Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch Effect, uh, I want to recap one Big 12 game in particular last week, the Red River Shootout, and kind of a must-win for both teams going into it, uh, some early season struggles. Oklahoma comes up victorious in... Not surprisingly a shootout type game. But from the Texas side, and I, I don't know if I feel bad for Charlie Strong. I'm starting to if, if he is indeed a lamed up coach, it was that game forty five to forty. I think the end is, is very, very near for Coach Strong, unfortunately.
1: I, I- I think a lot, a lot of his regents and uh, and other people within the university said he's not going anywhere until the end of the season, and I, I think I completely believe that. Yeah. I mean, it can't really get worse than where it is right now, and I think it's better if they're trying to bring in Herman if there's not an interim coach, and you know, uh, with, with Charlie, you're still going to get him motivating players and and being able to re- I guess have retention with some of those right. players. So, but I think they're just biding their time until Herman comes available after the season. Yeah, because
0: lo- what we know is firing coaches, you want to make that move as early as possible for recruiting purposes. I'm just stunned how poor this team is defensively. Uh, third quarter of this game, I think Oklahoma had about 270 yards of offense just in that quarter. Um, I-, I don't know, man. I- I'm I'm with you that... You want a guy finish the season um, unless he wins out. At this point, I don't see him keeping that job.
1: I don't. I, I don't think there's any chance he's keeping that job. I think he's alienated himself with the fan base and with the coaches. Um, a bunch of my friends who are Texas fans share the same sentiment. They're mm-hmm. just they're over the experiment. I mean, they. It's not that they have a disrespect for Charlie or or anything like that. It's just they realize that he's not going to be the guy that's going to get it done, and they want to bring in that guy. And money's not an issue at, ten, at Texas, so. Um, I think they're bought into whoever you know they can afford and yeah, yeah. and I think Herman's the guy that everyone's gonna rally around
0: Herman now he, I don't know we're not sure if he'll definitely be available right away but we'll see there's some there's some enticing options this year it's not all herman and I'm a big fan of his I think he's at or near the top of the list but got some big name free agents he's we're seeing. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, I would love to see Les Miles come to back to the Big 12. I don't think that's going to happen, but if, no. if it did, it would certainly be entertaining. Well, but he'll be coaching
0: next year. If yeah, he's a football coach, that's what he wants to do.
1: Do you, do you do you have any idea
0: of where you think he might land? Well, thinking about it, there's a school not too far from here that uh, you know went with the associate coach last year in uh, Southern California. I think that would be good. The other, uh, <laughs> that the would other be great. Inter- the other interesting one, more interesting, is just me: is if uh, the wheels completely fall off in South Bend, Indiana, less Miles at
1: Notre Dame. Mm. What about even? Do you think Hal Frick's job is safe? No, not at all. That would be another one. Less Miles with the Nike contract. That so would Les be. the uh, Nike contract, unless.
0: Enticing. Unless Phil Knight, you know, makes a trip. Uh, South from where he is to uh, you know Northern California to where a professional football team plays and says, "Hey, Mr. Kelly, would you like to come back and coach here?" I would definitely enjoy that move. Uh, this is going to be a fun year of uh, coaching musical chairs. Obviously, not happy these guys are going to be losing jobs, but <laughs> we do what we can, you know, uh, to stay enjoyed. LSU Florida is the game that didn't happen this past weekend, and I'll start out with this, Rob. I don't want to make light of any natural disaster or anything like that, as Hurricane Matthew was uh, devastating for a lot of people, but it seemed like at some point in the weekend the game could have been played. And unfortunately, it's being used as a bargaining chip between SEC schools and ultimately could affect the SEC championship race towards the title game.
1: Yeah, and and when you look at who takes... Who who gets placed in the title game? It's by percentage, not by total wins or or anything else. So if Florida comes into the game with that one loss to Tennessee, um, they could be a six and one team, and Tennessee potentially a two loss team, assuming you know that the Bama trip doesn't go so well for them. And Tennessee could would be the one team that beat Florida, but Florida has played one fewer game, and that that that's what it all could come down to. And I can't wow. imagine what our friend Sully will uh, think of that if no. that happens, but.
0: I've read, I'm not sure if this is 100% accurate, but the SEC has the right to to basically change the rules if they want to, if something like that were to happen. Um, Yeah. Which I I would hope that it doesn't get to that point, but maybe it will. Georgia was dragged into (laughs) this, which I thought was ridiculous. I'm not playing Georgia one bit. You're not canceling our game. (laughs) This doesn't involve us. You guys (laughs) figured this out yourself. Um, It's it's an unfortunate situation. I want to see these two teams play. I don't want to see Florida... Dodge and weave, but now the, the mudslinging is on both sides. is saying we've offered LSU games weekends, they don't want to take it. Um, it. It's it's very very unfortunate. I keep using that word, but you know we've seen the SEC title game get pushed back a week. I wonder if that's eventually going to be the road that this has to take.
1: I think I think it that's might might be what ends up happening. I, I, the game needs to happen, uh, and I, m- from a money standpoint, it makes sense too. Um, As long as you're not canceling games and losing the profit from, you know, that from when they play, you know how the SEC plays cupcakes late in the year, and they could easily push those, but I don't see them, you know, I know that one of the contracts is a $1.5 million out clause, and, and, which I'm sure the small school would love, just from a money standpoint, and not even getting any players injured for the postseason, but. Yeah, you know, at the
0: end of the day, too, these are you know college athletes. A lot of them aren't going pro. They don't have that many games in their careers. You're, you're taking a game, a big time game, away from these college kids. Yep, that's that might be next to obviously the damage of the hurricane, the most tragic thing in this situation, that the kid, that these college athletes aren't getting the chance to play uh, a big time game. The only way this game doesn't happen, Rob, is if Florida or LSU, one of them, if Florida self-destructs and, and the game doesn't mean anything. If it's not going to affect the race, they could avoid it. But the way the schedules look and the quality of teams, I think it has to happen. And we'll, we'll keep waiting on that. <laughs> There's no guarantee of when it's going to be. Totally. So let's move on now to, uh, you know, we'll, we'll call it the local segment, and we'll talk a little bit about our respective uh, teams first, Rob, with your Oklahoma State Cowboys who avoided what I call it natural disaster if uh, they would have lost that game to Iowa State.
1: Man, for some reason we just don't play that team well and it's always in mid season. they had a good
0: game against was it Baylor the week before. Mm-hmm. So they've been playing better, but not characteristic Cowboy football if I use that term correctly in the first couple of uh, quarters.
1: No, no, not at all. We fell down uh, 17 points and and I think I think that we kind of showed our resiliency and, and also that that Gundy knows how to make the adjustments it takes to win a game. In the second half, they had six drives where they had a combined 24 yards, you know. So the talent was there. It was just it took a little while to kind of flesh it out and kind of figure out their schemes and, and everything. But, you know, we're sitting at four, four and two and technically five and one. You take away the Central Michigan, mm-hmm. you know, faux pas. So I, I'm I'm confident going forward that we can compete. I mean, we've been in the Big Twelve title two of the last three years, or in the de facto game rather. Right. Um, so I, I think the team's gonna gonna kinda figure it out as we go. And luckily we've got a bye week and we can kinda heal up some Ranger guys and then we have Kansas. So right. that's be, essentially two bye weeks. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it it's it really is Kansas searching for, you know, their first
0: multi win season and Lord knows how long. Um, it's not going to be with us. <laughs> hope, hope not, for your sake. Um, no, I, I also think that with respect to your program, unless you're an Alabama Clemson-type team, you can't really not show up regardless of who the opponent is. Yeah. And, you know, you almost you got burned by that early in that game. So I think that's the the message that Oklahoma State will have going forward. Uh, you got to take care of the games in front of you because there's going to be a lot of games where that won't fly coming yep. down the stretch, but... It was nice resolve there uh, as far as Ohio State goes uh, I did get a chance to watch that game Rob and it looked a little sleepy it was a sleepwalk win if 21.1 could be that way uh, I don't want to say that the team was bored but they did have Wisconsin to look forward to on the road that you know there hasn't been a lot of te- any real major tests since the Oklahoma game I think it was a case of that and Indiana gets some respect they're getting better that program was a disaster. The last couple of years, they beat Michigan State recently pretty handily. I think they're in a better position, but ultimately, I think Ohio State wasn't really trying to click on all cylinders as hard as they could have.
1: Yeah, I mean JT Barrett's looking deadly this year. He's got a one six six quarterback rating, and uh, he's sitting hot. So uh, I think the Big Ten—they're definitely you know I'll team you in the driver's I'll seat. Play my one fear though. I worry that.
0: Uh, you know he does so much. I don't want him to get hurt again. You know every time exactly. he goes down, and he's a tough kid. But I saw that broken ankle. I still have nightmares about that. You know, two years ago, and uh, you never know. I mean, football a violent game. You know.
1: You might have Cardale 2.0 on your bench.
0: We'll see. Although it's next year's, it's, yeah, you never know. Next year's QB class uh, is looking pretty good, but you know we'll see. You know, Barrett's got another year left, and we'll see where that goes. Um, and then, lastly, before we get into this uh, week's games, Michigan Rutgers. Oh my God! Like I know Rutgers isn't good, and I know Michigan is pretty good, but there was a point in that game where, Mich- where Rutgers had you know negative yards of offense late, and didn't get a first down till the third quarter, 78 to nothing, and, and I hate Michigan. You know, as much as anyone, Rob, but there was nothing they could do to not score. Hardball was on the yeah. bench. I don't think he could have helped
1: that. Yeah, it was kind of like the Simpsons GIF where they're screaming, "He's already dead." Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was kind of that. It's just like, what do you do? You're, you you, your third, <laughs> your third string athletes are better than the first string athletes. You know, sitting in wreckers. So, I, I Michigan is a scary team, but I, I'll be very curious once they hit the bulk of the schedule and start playing some higher profile teams. To really see, you know, if Uh, if they're legit. And and it seems like they are. But then again, Baylor and a bunch in Texas Tech can blow out teams by the same score.
0: So offensively still have question marks, but I gotta say, and and you know I'm not a fan, but if we're ranking just players in the country, I know Heisman's different criteria. Peppers, man, that guy is top three at least. Man. He might be the best overall player. And and that's what scares me about that team is when you have a guy like at the professional level of J.J. Water or Khalil Mack, they could take over a game. How do you block him? How do you factor him? And how does that you know mess up the rest of your, your scheme? So. He,
1: you're pulling two blockers every possession, or every snap, it seems. So he, it changes it changed your whole offensive mentality. So I'm with Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch Factor, right, it's that time to look at Week
0: 7. And now we've been spoiled the last couple weeks with some of the tilts. I wouldn't call this... A bad week, but it's you know kind of uh, an intermediate week for ranked teams. You know, not the uh, top-heavy games that we were expected or spoiled by, but there's some good games uh, on the slate. Let's start with uh, Clemson, team ranked number two or three in the polls, hosting uh, NC State. Team, surprisingly, only one loss on
1: the season. Does NC State have enough to pull the upset here? Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with no. I think the only reason they uh, were in the game last week is because of the monsoon conditions. Not saying they wouldn't, they would have gotten blown out or anything, but I, I think the talent level at Notre Dame would have would have shined through. So, but Clemson is a whole different beast. They're a two side of the ball team, not just an offensive team like Notre Dame. So, uh, I think I think Clemson's gonna put a wallop in on them. Yeah, and I think uh, I I think. I would agree,
0: I think Vegas would agree at 18-point favorites. It's in Clemson. Yep. Uh, day game, though, you always wonder. You know, Clemson at night is a little more of a hostile environment. So, intriguing here. North Carolina State's played tough in conference games. I, I remember a few years ago they gave Jameis Winston all he can handle uh, when they were undefeated. So I think that's going to be a very interesting game. and interesting subplot. But Clemson's just too talented. I don't expect them to lose. Miami. Fresh off of a heartbreaking loss to Florida State. What a game. What a game that was. Missed an extra point, though. I, that is just... <laughs> it's very you know, Texas I, of them. Miami's earning my respect because I, I i wasn't sold on them. They've been playing tough each week, but last week their luck runs out. They host North Carolina, who got demolished by Virginia Tech in that monsoon-like condition, dropping them from the rankings. Miami nine point favorites at home. Will this be a decisive Miami win, or do you see it being a lot closer? Than that?
1: No, I could see it going either way. Larry Fedora is a very competent coach. He used to be Oklahoma State's offensive coordinator. We we know what he's capable he's of. He's aggressive. So he is, and 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 we still kind of miss him at <laughs> Oklahoma State in certain ways. Not yeah, but I, I definitely think North Carolina is in the mix. And and after last week's win, it's going to be curious to see which Miami shows up. Are they going to be pissed off and motivated, or are they going to be um, seeing this as kind of like a you know, lesser opponent in, in the next week you know, and kind of not playing as hard because it's not a, a, a big name on the jersey like Florida State. Yeah, I actually like North Carolina in this game. I think North Carolina,
0: that game, might have just been a fluky game with a lot of rain and, and their pass-happy offense, but Trubisky never could get their setting. We haven't seen Miami off the loss this year. want to see how they bounce back. You nah. know, but they've been riding high all season, now that's not the case. So I think North Carolina can go in and pull the upset. Speaking of upsets, this game wasn't on a rundown, but i got to mention it for its potential, Rob. Indiana at home against Nebraska.
1: Yeah. Nebraska's I,
0: I, only a four-point favorite, so I think Vegas might think there might be something cooking here, uh, too.
1: I think there's definitely something afoot uh, happening there. Uh, Indiana's, you know, competent this year. So I... I, I And and Nebraska's best game was against Oregon, who's suspect at best now. So I I think Indiana could compete and probably take this one. Even though it's four and a half, I could see Indiana winning by double digits easy. If you're looking for another
0: upset game, we could see one in the Big 12 at the end of Charlie Strong if Iowa State goes (laughs) into Texas and wins that game. I know they're double-digit underdogs, but why is Texas a double-digit favorite over anyone? It doesn't (laughs) make sense. Iowa State's
1: played better recent weeks. Iowa State's tandem quarterback setup is going to have a field day against the Texas run defense. Texas run defense gave up 200 and what 14 yards to Pirine last week, and and they're going to have to defend and be disciplined against an Iowa State team that is far better coach than Texas. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I think uh, that could be the uh,
0: the final nail in the coffin there for Coach Strong. All right, Alabama, Tennessee in tennessee now we there's a lot riding on this game for a lot of teams and a lot of people but what's one way that tennessee could potentially win this game what do they have to do
1: i think they just can't turn the ball over i i I think we've seen it time and time again if they're if if they play their game and don't force throws they're a great team but when josh Dobbs tries to force a ball that's almost how ev- – I'm pretty sure that's how every interception he's thrown this year has been. Is him trying to force it into an area that he shouldn't be throwing to. And against Alabama, you can't do that. Oh, no. They're the most athletic <laughs> oh, players no. in the country, and, and they're well-coached to boot. So I, I think Tennessee just needs to have a game plan and stick to it and make the adjustments that they've done every week and a half. And they can't have that lull at the beginning like they've had. If anything, they need to flip the script in this one and hit them in the mouth and see if they can recover. Yeah, and I'm looking for their run defense to step up. They've had troubles in the secondary, but
0: if Alabama's running the ball, that opens up the pass. That opens up Wade Kiffin's toys, and uh, you know that could be trouble. I, I'm a I'm a gambler at heart. I like upsets, but I can't go with Tennessee on this one. I just maybe they cover the 13 point spread, but. I, if you're asking me to pick against Alabama, I just can't do it right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry, Sully. I, I, I'm i going to have to pick Alabama, but in terms of who I want to win, it's hands down, well, Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, um, so I, hopefully the Vols can can be happy, but um, they got a tall order ahead of them. Big pecking
0: order game in the SEC, an additional game in the SEC. Mississippi goes to Arkansas. Mississippi goes as seven-and-a-half-point favorites to Arkansas. Both these teams have... A couple losses But I think this is almost A coin flip game Rob I don't see Arkansas As a particularly bad team That said I'm leaning Mississippi here
1: Yeah I think that's You know why they went Minus seven and a half Because on the like, road That's like that's, <laughs> that's a lot of points On the road Yeah I I, I mean both teams are deadly But We don't really know Which team's going to show up For each of them So And Mississippi hasn't really Had any tests on the road All their games With the neutral sites Are at home um, Yeah I don't And it'll also be interesting to kind of see how Chad Kelly plays this week after, uh, you know, going ballistic at his brother's football game.
0: Yeah, Uh, mentally, that's not really a good sign. I don't think any scout looks at that as a positive, you know, Uh, going nuts and running on the field at a high school game when you know you're the biggest name there and anything you do is going to be on YouTube in mere minutes.
1: He's like the the football version of Marshall Henderson right now. Yeah, that's uh which unfortunately is not... a <laughs> good comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's not really the guy though from a from a scout standpoint that you want to be uh tied with. So I think hopefully he'll play his way out of that. I'll make sure I'll take the under on his uh one early test scores though, <laughs> having known that.
0: Yep. <laughs> uh and lastly I wanna to get to uh Ohio State and Wisconsin. Big Ooh. test. I'm not sleeping on that one, Rob. I think Wisconsin's a tough team. Well, Ohio State's 10-point favorites. That seems a little high even for me. But what can Wisconsin do to use Camp Randall to their advantage and uh, set the tone early against the Buckeyes?
1: They've just got to grind it out. Uh, we've seen how good their defense is, and and uh, they. I think what they've got to do is just pound the ball and and kind of run the clock and kind of shorten the game. Uh Take Ohio State out of its its quick strike, high talent offense. You know. Yeah, um,
0: I think yeah, I think Wisconsin controls tempo. They put together a lot of long drives. That's how they stayed close in Michigan. They got to make those plays. They're not going to get many opportunities to make the big play. You can move the ball in Ohio State's defense. I don't know that big plays are the way to do it, but the secondary is susceptible to those intermediate routes. For Ohio State, it is the J.T. Barrett show, but. If Weber, if Samuel, if Noah Brown, if his secondary supporting cast can get going, specifically that running game, that's
1: when Urban Meyer's clicking on all cylinders, and that's when he gets aggressive and can really pour it out. I think we saw what they're capable of in the OU game. I mean, that's one of the toughest places in the country. It's top three, most narrow sidelines. It took lines. a while.
0: It took you know about a quarter and a half, and then they got rolling, and then and then it was history from there.
1: Yeah, and I, I think I think whatever Urban did. Uh, before that game, hes I, I think he's got to kind of go with the same route. You've got to realize you're going into one of the most hostile environments in college football and, uh, you know, shake off those nerves early and then just hit him in the mouth and, and run with it. The biggest thing with that run with it being the key word there, I think
0: that's how they start on the road a lot. A lot of runs. They don't want Barrett throwing any picks early. He's made a couple bad throws, but I, I think to settle him down, they like to run. They use him on those quarterback option routes and uh I like Ohio State in this game, but I'm going to say a narrow victory. Narrow seven victory. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be, you know, well, Wisconsin's a tough team. They will keep it close.
1: I think we're going to just see a classic Big Ten
0: slugfest in this one. We will, although it might be, well, it might be, 20, it might be 24-17 or a little higher than the uh, 10-3, you know, Woody Hayes. The you know, old halfback guys. dive, fullback. Right. And Paul Chris is a good coach. looks like Barry Alvarez isn't going to have to coach a bowl game this year. So that's good for (laughs) his health and everything. But Rob, thanks for stopping by on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, Good talking football with you as always. Oh, it's a pleasure. Glad to be here. Always a pleasure to talk college football with Rob Crowder, one of the most insightful minds you'll find on that sport and with a lot of football left to be played, it's only gonna ramp up. He'll be back on the Money Mitch Effect before you know it. All right, now it's time to switch from the gridiron to the ice rink. Start of the NHL season is tonight. And on the line, we're gonna have Eric Roberts to discuss the beginning of the NHL season. Eric writes for the Hockey Writers and edits for Fox Sports Radio. We're gonna talk about Sidney Crosby's concussion struggles, which we all hate to see. The Los Angeles Kings optimistic look and uh, who we think is going to win the Hardware this year and ultimately be in the Stanley Cup Finals. Let's go to that interview now. Eric Roberts on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, the NHL season starts tonight, and now joining me on the line, I have Eric Roberts, who is a Kings contributor for the Hockey Writers and an editor for Fox Sports Radio out here in Los Angeles. Eric, thanks for joining us on the Money Mitch Effect.
2: Oh, Not a problem, not a problem. Always, join, always good to talk sports.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is a great time of year. Everything is, uh, is going on. Uh, we have football, obviously. Baseball is in the thick of the uh, pennant chase. And now the NHL season gets back underway. I know it's right up our wheelhouses. Um, well, I want to start with the Pittsburgh Penguins, Eric, the team that won the Stanley Cup last year. Big news out of Pittsburgh uh, last week. Sidney Crosby going uh, out on the IR with uh, concussion now, there's a lot of murkiness around that situation. Don't know exactly how it happened. He did skate uh, the other day, but still no timetable on his return. And this is a guy who is arguably the face of the league, Eric, and someone that's
2: had this trouble before. How big of a deal do you think this is going to be for Pittsburgh going forward? Um, you know, it's 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 like you said, it's a tough situation because it's kind of mirroring how he uh, first fell into this whole problem back in 2011 when he got hit by a... Was it David Steckel um, during that Winter Classic game? He said he had some neck pain, and then you know he came back for a game a couple days later, and then he was pushing the boards in that game, and then you know he was out until I think November. Later that month, was about ten months of action. So it's kind of it really similar how he's he just says that he has this pain and nothing really coming out specific. So we'll see. But I mean, as far as the Penguins go and the, the NHL as a whole. It's It's really unfortunate because he's coming off, you know, of an 85-point season. He won the Conn Smythe, you know, as a Stanley Cup MVP. He won the MVP at the World Cup, you know, just a few weeks ago. So we're really seeing Crosby, you know, what seemed to be the peak of his career, getting really back into the flow of things. And, you know, for this to happen, it really just kind of stunts everything. It's really, really unfortunate. Yeah, you you never want to see this happen uh, for the elite players
0: in any sport, and, as someone that's, i guess not particularly a Crosby fan and i just hate to see uh, a talent like him at the peak of his game really uh, you know being hindered by this when he thought he when we thought he kicked it a couple of years ago but turning to the penguins eric this is a team in my opinion that you know the the roster that they've built they can overcome the injury in the short term now long term is a different question but when you have guys like Malkin, Phil Kessel, Carl Hagelin i think they can overcome this in the short term and It'd be just fine come playoff time.
2: Oh yeah, I think so too. They they definitely they're they're built. They have the depth. Um, you know, for the most part of the first half of last season, Crosby was on the downswing. He he seemed to be really in a funk, and he really picked it up in the second half. So you know, they they showed that they can play without with. I mean, obviously he's not going to be on the ice entirely at this point. But you know, even without his production, they showed that you know we can still we can still turn things around, and you know hopefully this isn't. Too big of an injury and won't keep Crosby out for too long of the season. Um, I think the one of the bigger injuries now would be uh, how long Matt Murray's out in net. You know, because he definitely yeah. he definitely took over the net uh, for the Penguins in Pittsburgh late last season, and he really they rode him to the Stanley Cup last year. So we'll see how uh, Mark Andre Fleury can you know handle the crease, and we'll see if Matt Murray's it's Matt Murray's net once he gets healthy again. Right, and that's exactly what happened. Murray
0: took the net from Flurry when he was injured. We'll see if that is indeed the case uh, again in Pittsburgh. I want to switch to the team out here, the Los Angeles Kings. Eric, last year they lose in the playoffs in the first round in five games to San Jose. My first question with this team is, how do you see the offense performing? You know, They've always been a little strapped to score goals. They lose Lucic. Do you think they can find that secondary scoring this year?
2: It's going to be interesting here in LA because you know they've all yeah like you said they've always been you know kind of struggling to get the offense and they really didn't do much in the off season to kind of fix it. Um, they tried really hard to to keep Milan Lucic, you know, but then they couldn't and in the end they couldn't ultimately find the money to bring him to bring him back. So he left Edmonton. And as far as off season additions, they they went out and got Teddy Purcell, who, who spent some time out of Florida and Edmonton and. You look at him, he's really not the offensive juggernaut. So when they brought him in, they're kind of expecting him to, like, slide in along with, uh, you know, Kopitar and Gaverick on the first line. But then now Gabrik kind of Gaverick went down with a foot injury while, while he was playing for Team Europe at the World Cup. And, you know, now he's expected out till mid-November. So now everything's kind of getting jumbled up before the puck's even dropped on the season tomorrow. So, you know, you got possibly Kopitar skating with, I've heard, maybe Brown, maybe Devin Setaguchi, who was on a professional tryout with the Kings, gets signed. It's really interesting. But over all in all, I think it's going to be the Tyler Toffoli show this year in L.A. You know, he, he had a career year last year with 58 points, 31 goals. He's uh, playing for a new contract. You know, I, I I think this is the first year in about nine years that Kopitar doesn't lead the Kings in points at the end of the season.
0: And, you know, Toffoli steals that. That'd be interesting, and I, I could definitely see that being the case, and as far as Setaguchi goes, I think that's something that's a good buy low, you know, low risk, possibly high reward situation. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of what you said, too, has to deal with the king salary cap issues, Eric. I mean, they just haven't been able to replace the forward production they've lost because the money is so tight.
2: Yeah, you know, they have a lot of money tied up to uh, to very few players, and you know, when, whenever money comes up, and it kind of... I don't want to say wasted money, Dustin Brown comes to the forefront. You know, he's got, I believe, like a $6 million cap hit tied to him, and he's getting – I think he's set career lows with 11 goals the last two seasons. So it's they definitely have a lot of money tied up in unfortunate places. I think Gabrick has, like, about a four to $5 million cap hit. And he's mm. just kind of been a Band-Aid for the last couple seasons. So it's a, it's a little tough, but, you know, they, they have players that – also make, earn the money, they got Dowdy, they got Quick, they got Carter, Kopitar, who are also, they all seem to be able to pull the weight, even when things kind of kind of seem on the downtrend. You mentioned Dowdy, I'm glad you brought him up last season, winning the Norris, as complete a defensive season
0: as I can remember from any player in the NHL in recent memory. Do you think he'll be required to do the heavy lifting, I should say extreme heavy lifting again this year, or can uh, some other players kind of alleviate the pressure on him on that defensive side?
2: I think the Kings are going to look towards a lot of their younger players, or at least on the defensive end, uh, to try to you know maybe take some of that load off Dowdy. They're going to probably they're going to hopefully like the Brady McNabs, the uh, Alec is, you know, they hopefully they can play more of a role. That way, Dowdy can get some rest, you know. But then again, in the in the end, Dowdy's going to be able to do it if he's called upon. So he's kind of, he's the workhorse, that's for sure.
0: Exactly. And, and Martinez, especially, and you know, last year in that playoff series against San Jose, his injury was just a killer. Talking with Eric Roberts here on the Money Mitch effect, and we're, I'm going to stick with the Pacific Division for a little bit, Eric, because in, in the past, you could say that maybe the Kings could get by because the division wasn't as tough, but... In my estimation, this division, the competition has really raised over the last couple of seasons, especially going into this one.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as like I said, the the Kings did really didn't do much to improve during this off season, but at the same time, they didn't really get much worse. And um, the rest of the division kind of followed suit. But you know, you have the San Jose Sharks, you have the Anaheim Ducks, who they will continue to be the 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 leading leading uh, the leading horses in this race for the, the division, but You know, I think in the Pacific division, I wouldn't be surprised if Edmonton, uh, you know, hangs around that three spot and throws a, uh, a kink in the whole standings in the Pacific. You know, they, they picked up Milan Lucic. They have McDavid, you know, that's, it's a good, it's a young team, but, you know, they brought in players that will, will make influence in locker room. And I think this year might be the year that they kind of, you know, put a bid in for the playoffs.
0: Especially if McDavid keeps progressing at the staggering rate that he does. Uh, Anaheim, you know, is going to be there in the regular season. We just don't know about the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Randy Carl coming back to coach their team. And San Jose is another one where, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a battle. It, it'll probably come down to California yet again. To see who, to see how the pecking order goes, but I'm with you on Edmonton. I think they could be a difficult uh, out as well.
2: If McDavid can stay healthy, that that's going to really do a lot. You know, he went down with that injury with that when he broke his uh, collarbone, and um, if he can stay healthy, if he's gonna he's gonna spearhead that Edmonton movement. Watching him play in the the World Cup of Hockey was just ridiculous. He looks like he's on a different field than a lot of the players
0: out there. And points per game last year, I think he was top five for games played. Just staggering. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah, like, like I like said, if he if he didn't go down injury, he probably would have uh, uh, kept Panarin from getting Rookie of the Year. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a very uh, very
0: safe bet there. Uh, Central Division, Eric. There's a lot of teams that are jumping off the page, but the first one I want to bring up is uh, Nashville. This is a team that uh, they're rising on a lot of power rankings early in the season. The big trade acquiring PK
2: Subban. Are you buying
0: what Nashville can do in the playoffs this year?
2: yeah you know i've always i've always liked nashville you know i've i just feel that they they always kind of get left and left off off in the shadows of you know the big central division teams like like the blues like the blackhawks and then and now the red wings you know i feel like there's always kind of people are always talking about them when predators are always there they should be respected and you know they brought in pk Subban, who i think is a overall upgrade from shea weber so you know on the ice off the ice i think they they won that trade um but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Nashville if Nashville finishes the season atop the Central Division. Yeah, a lot of
0: good young talent. Uh, we we always talked uh, about how Nashville didn't have the offense in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Peter Laviolette is doing a good job developing talent. We we know Forsberg obviously can play. The uh, acquisition of Ryan Johansson was a big upgrade. Roman Yossi is good on the back end. I'm I'm a big fan of this team. It's funny to say though, Eric that. It might come down to goaltending in the defensive end, given mm-hmm. how dominant Rene once was. But if he can play at a high level, this is a scary team.
2: Yeah, that's that's I feel like that's been that's always been the, the predators kind of downfall, you know. They get in and then they just kinda of fall apart a little bit um, in the net. But, you know, Pecorine, he looked good in the look in the World Cup from what I saw. So, you know, so hopefully that can that can transfer over into the regular season for him. Now I want to talk about that trade, you know, briefly with
0: uh, Subban for Shea Weber. It's something we never really see. Two of the arguably top five or six defensemen in the NHL traded in a one-for-one deal, both with enormous contracts. Do you think that Nashville clearly won this trade, or is, or could it be a case where both teams might have slightly upgraded?
2: You know, I think I think Nashville won the trade because um, watching Shea Weber last last uh, playoffs, he seemed, he seemed a little off. He seemed like he was getting beat. He seemed a little uh, a little head casey. So I felt like he was doing more damage than good out there on the ice for the Predators in a lot of the cases. Um, and I feel like the, the NHL is transitioning to more of a, a league that benefits P.K. Subban. You know, you, you need that forward that can move with the puck, that's fast moving. You know, the, the time of the big lumbering defenseman that's, that stays at home and just beats you up in the corners – is kind of phasing out and, you know, I think it's mm-hmm. in the long run that PK is going to be a lot more influential and a lot more has a lot more upside than Shea Weber. And, you know, and then on top of that, you know, Nashville is a city that's growing, a great city that could really embrace hockey and PK Subban has got to be one of the top two two, three guys off the ice, you know, a face of an organization that's really going to thrive in that city. So I think all the way around Nashville won that trade.
0: I agree with you on the sense that I think for Nashville's team, especially, that's what they want to do their identity of, of getting faster and being able to move the puck. And, you know, maybe that was the difference in their series against San Jose last year that went seven games. Um, and I agree. I think Nashville definitely got the better of the trade. The one thing I'll say, though, is that if we see a healthy locked in carry price and Montreal goes defense heavy, Weber could be an asset to him and they could be a tough mm-hmm. team to score. So yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see how that develops. Do you think now, going back to the Central Division, that the Chicago Blackhawks and St. Louis Blues, two teams that have been perennially at the top, can keep it going uh, in another race towards the Stanley Cup? Or do you see a, a, a fall-off at all for either of those teams?
2: Um, you know, I, I think a fall-off might be coming, but I don't think this is the season. I think that the Central Division is going to be another dogfight. At the moment, with the the talent that Chicago has, you can never count them out. You never know what kind of a run Hayes and Kane and Panarin are going to go on. And Crawford is one of the more reliable goalies when you need one. So, and at the same time with the Blues, you know they're always in the thick of it. Uh, It's gonna. I think the real question would be is if if Dallas can repeat and do what they did last. You know they put up 109 points, they won the division. It'll be interesting if uh, to see if Sagan and you know Jamie Benn can can repeat what they did last year with the success that the, those two had. It's probably the the most offensively potent duo in the league. Right. And I just wonder about
0: Dallas. It's the same question every year. It's goaltending. I, I, they didn't really do anything this year, but I think they're going to have to make a move if they want to get serious about winning uh, a couple best-of-seven series to get out of this divisional round. But I'm, I'm with you on Chicago. You can never count them out. The Blues are an interesting team because – you know they made their they made their breakthrough to the conference finals. Were two games away from the Cup finals, but lost a couple players in the off season, um, and now they don't have the goaltending duo anymore.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. Having to rely on Jake Allen, let's see how he plays. You know, 60-65 starts a year. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see how they, how that plays out because they did lose. Um, they lost their captain, you know, and it was a little emotional farewell. So a little a little bit of a shake-up, you know, so we'll, we'll see if they can hang around in the thick of it or, you know, lose that spot to Nashville, you know, or maybe Minnesota, you know. It'll, it'll be interesting. Very, very tough division
0: as I talk with Eric Roberts here, hockey writer's contributor on the Money Mitch effect. All right, Eric, let's go out east. There's some uh, interesting contenders. We mentioned Pittsburgh as a chance to repeat, obviously, as good as anyone. But who else do you see out in the Eastern Conference that could challenge their uh, throne in Pittsburgh?
2: You know, it's, I just don't feel like there's going to be much parity in the East this year. Uh, you know, the, you got the Capitals, who, of course, are just... They won the President's Trophy last year. They put up unreal numbers. They finished the season with, you know, 120 points. Um, they got their stack from top to bottom. They got Alexander Ovechkin leading the way. They have, you know, just unreal talent from top to bottom. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if they lead the, the East again. Um, as far as anybody contending with them, I would... I'd like to see the the Tampa Bay Lightning give them a run for their money. You know, they went all that way without Steven Stamkos last year in the playoffs. You know, and then their big question going into this offseason was whether or not Stamkos would would re sign with them. Then it came down to literally what felt like seconds before the free agency opened before they got him to re up on his deal. So I would really like it to see the 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 Lightning go all the way. Um, so I think it would be come down between the Lightning and the the, the Capitals out east to to Represent the the Eastern Conference in the Stanley Cup Final. Right, I,
0: I think Washington to get to the first team you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think their demise is greatly exaggerated. I think they just ran into a buzzsaw Pittsburgh team last year that was playing yeah. at, at an unbelievably high level with Murray and Nett. I think they're going to be right back in the thick of things. They got way too much talent on that team to be uh, to otherwise be the case. I'm with you also on Tampa Bay. I think. With Stamkos, they just signed Kucherov, I believe, this morning. There's a lot of talent on that team. And Cooper, John Cooper knows how to get them peaking in the playoffs, a very underrated uh, aspect of coaching. It seems like no matter what Tampa Bay team we have, they're always playing their best hockey in the spring. Another team that I, I was looking at as a potential sleeper might be the Florida Panthers. And I say that because I'm a really big fan of what they did in signing Keith Yandel. They had trouble stopping people last year. I know Luongo is always a question mark, but I think they can maybe surprise some people in that division.
2: Yeah, the the Florida Panthers they made a lot of uh, they didn't really go out into the out into the free agent pool. They made a lot of in house signings. They kept they they locked up their young studs for the foreseeable future. They know what direction they want to go in, and it's it's going to come down to where and how effective Luongo can be. And you know they they won the division last year, and they're going to see. It's going to probably come down to, to a fight between the two Florida teams and who else wants to go to go to battle with them for the East.
0: certainly appears to be the case. Before I let you go, Eric, I, I want to talk about the next generation of uh, NHL players. We mentioned Connor McDavid, but I, I know you were a big fan of Team North America and the World Cup of Hockey, just seeing that collection of talent. I think it really puts the NHL in a good place, all those young guys, 23 and under, some even 18, 19 years old looking very good as they begin their NHL careers.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Team North America was the shining star of the World Cup. I loved watching them, didn't miss a game. I watched more of their games than Team USA, to be honest. Um, uh, But, you know, that was the smartest thing the NHL could do as far as showcasing, you know, the premier talent for the next 10 years of the NHL. You had players like Connor McDavid, who was just named captain of the Edmonton Oilers at just 19 years old. You have Austin Matthews. Uh, the number one p- or overall pick from last year's draft. You had Jack Eichel, who's the next coming in Buffalo. Johnny Gaudreau, who's you know fresh off a, con- a new contract with Calgary, and you know, they they that team went out there and they gave they beat teams. They you know they came up just short in uh, a losing effort to Russia. You know to have a chance to try and go for a championship, but that team looked was fun to watch, and I think that's you know what the NHL is trying to go at. You know a real fast-paced finesse kind of style of hockey and. It's, it that's, you know that that's, it keeps keeps fans out of their seats you know keeps them inter- entertained and that, I guess that's what it's all about you know.
0: And it's great that
2: McDavid,
0: Matthews, you know, Eichel could come back in in four years if there is another World Cup of Hockey and play for that same U twenty three team.
2: Yeah, so they, they remember- they're so, they're so young they get a second crack at it if they it, I guess. <laughs> So let's uh, yeah no, I know
0: I was with you I watched all of Team North America the Team North America Russia game and the Sweden game were two of the best games of the tournament hands yeah down.
2: that that uh that Team North America and Team Sweden overtime was the best uh, overtime period I've seen in hockey since they switched to the three on three it was back and forth couple breakaways couple two on ones it was it was unreal
0: so let's wrap it up. Uh, Eric with this uh, I want to go around and, and talk about maybe some awards some early predictions there and then uh, way too early conference finals and finals previews for rookie of the year is it going to be Austin Matthews for sure can we write him in he looked pretty damn good in, in for Team North America
2: yeah I mean I think it's going to be it's probably going to be you know go with the chalk you know the ones who either Austin Matthews or Patrick Laine from, uh, coming over from Finland with the Winnipeg Jets you know they both were playing for, in the World Cup. Uh, they played against each other, I think, once, and they look like they're ready to go, NHL ready. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, Matthews, but Patrick Lina or Laine, I've seen him play um, in a couple world, like international tournaments, and he could give Matthews a run for the money, but it's probably going to be a two-horse race for that one. I would have to go Matthews, but you're right. Line looked good as well, and he, he's all ready to go.
0: The, the NHL is just pumping in young talent. It's, it's pretty cool to see. As far as the Norris trophy, are we thinking Dowdy again? I mean he finally got over the hump and won for the first time, but it's very hard to repeat that award.
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if he's in contention for it. Uh you know, uh, I'm gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see if PK Subban can maybe meddle his way into there, get you know, get his name thrown out and that with a change the scenery, uh maybe rub a little salt in the wounds of uh the Canadian the Canadian fans. But it'd be nice to see uh Dowdy win it back to back but it'll probably be you know the the normal candidates for it. you know you got the Eric Carlson the P.K. Subban maybe even Chara finds you know gets back to old form but we'll see
0: yeah I think the smart money is always Carlson if you if you're a betting man to just take him every year because you Mm -hmm. know he'll always be there scoring goals Um, yeah but we'll have to see where that goes um for the MVP award now I I'm hearing a lot of predictions that McDavid's in the race, and I would love to see that. But are we really ready to anoint him as an MVP?
2: You know, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if he if he if he's at least in the in the final three uh, w- with what he did and what little time he did last year, um, and seeing how he's playing going into you know he's, he had, he had the World Cup to kind of you know shake off the rust, so he's gonna be coming in at full speed, and I wouldn't be surprised if he jumps out to a early points lead, early overall lead. So Conor McDavid for league MVP is a definite possibility. I'm with you on him being a possibility. The guy
0: that I, I like as my sleeper that I think I pick right now to win it, that is, I wouldn't say constantly overlooked, but not recognized as properly as he should. In my opinion, I like John Tavares out in uh, for the Islanders. I think what he's been able to do, you know, I wonder about, I worry about that team, the talent around him, but I think talent-wise, he's as good as anyone.
2: Yeah, he gets, he gets looked over over there in Brooklyn a lot. You know, he's got he's in the Metropolitan with the big bad Rangers, you know, and stuff like that. So he gets looked over quite a bit. I would like to see Kane do it again. You know, hold it down for the Americans. But you know, I think without his uh, unreal point streak last year, he he probably wouldn't have been in there. But I think Alexander Ovechkin might be a solid choice this year. I think the, the Washington Capitals window might be closing soon and he's going to have to do a lot to, you know, to carry them through the postseason again. So Alexander Vechkin might be my bet. He's playing better defense than he ever had in his whole career with
0: Barry Trotz at the helm, so that is a pretty wise pick. Uh, mm-hmm. Last award, the Vesna Trophy. I want to stay out here. Is this a year that Jonathan Quick, who was a finalist last year, can win the award? Hope was dominant last year. But how about Quick's chances?
2: I think if Quick can get better, a little better defense around him, I feel like they were a little sloppy around last year, so it kind of inflated a couple of numbers where he could have been a lot better. But you know, he's always up there with the, in the wins categories. He's always up there, you know, in the appearances and the, the goals against average, the the big ones for goalies. So I would definitely be okay with that. When it comes down to the Vesna Trophy, I feel like it's splitting hairs a lot in the NHL because you know you always end up with three just pretty much stellar goalies and it, I feel like it might get a little political, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you end up with, you know, a quick Bishop-Lundquist or, like, a quick and any other duo, really. Yeah, I, Lundquist
0: isn't always a
2: solid choice. Um,
0: I, I feel like of all the awards we mentioned, this one has to deal the most with the win total, um, mm-hmm. which is why I, I think Bishop might be the favorite here if Tampa is as good as we think they are. He's going to have a lot of wins. He's going to, you know, be right in the thick of the race. Um, but, yeah, I think With you, Quick struggled out of the gate the last couple years a lot due to the sloppy defense. If he can clean that up, I think
2: he'll be a better chance. It'll it'll be interesting to see how he plays coming out because he did get uh, quite a few reps with Team USA at the World Cup. So, you know, maybe like we said with McDavid, you know, he's not going to get out there with that beginning of the season rust. And maybe he'll jump out to a league, you know, get 10 wins out of the first 12 games. or so. So we'll see. And lastly, Eric, uh, before I let you
0: go here, who are your early conference finals and finals picks for the 2016-17 NHL season?
2: Uh, let's see here. So, you know, out west, I, I'm, I'm going to go with the Sharks, you know, getting back to the Western Conference Finals. They, they seem to have built a, a juggernaut up there in San Jose. That, you know, they have, they have the Twin Towers and Brett Burns and Joe Thornton. They have a capable goalie now, which used to be their, you know, their Achilles heel and Martin Jones. They have the young talent. They have Donskoi, uh, Couture, and they have just pretty much all that they need to do. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if they get back to the Western Conference Finals. Um, and then out, out east, I feel like it's going to be the Lightning. You know, I think Stamkos are going to r- really click this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's, it's a Sharks-Lightning Stanley Cup Final next season. I'm gonna say conference finals. I like San Jose to get there, but I,
0: I'm I'm actually no, I'll, I'll change that. I'm gonna go with the Kings. I think that I'm not counting out Dean Lombardi at the trade deadline, pulling some magic okay. uh, to get to the conference finals. But I'm in on I'm in on Nashville getting to their finals with PK Suvan on that on that team. Um, in the East, I'm I'm gonna agree with you. I think Tampa Bay gets there. Um, I think they'll find a way to get there in the Metro division. I think Pittsburgh can still get their way back and we can see a rematch of that conference finals. Um, And then I'll say Nashville and yeah, Nashville and Tampa Bay and you had San Jose, Tampa Bay. So I think that's probably an NHL ratings nightmare, but
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, two, two coasts, and uh, you know, you gotta really dig deep to get those uh, commercials out there for that one. Absolutely. Well, Eric, thanks again for coming on The Money Mitch Effect. Appreciate
0: you dropping your hockey knowledge on the show. Oh Not a problem. Had a blast. Big thanks to both our guests, Rob Crowder and Eric Roberts, for coming on the show and discussing sports with myself. You're not going to want to uh, miss the sports week in front of us, hockey tonight, college football on Saturday, baseball playoffs scattered throughout, and NFL Sunday. NFL starts Thursday. It's a busy week. You're going to want to just post up on your couch and watch sports all week. Unless you have one of those pesky jobs or something. The Money Mitch Effect can be found on SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes by just searching Money Mitch Effect. I share all the podcasts on my SoundCloud page at Money Mitch as well as my Twitter and Facebook accounts. Tweet me at MoneyMitchM21. That's MoneyMitchM21, where you can find every episode as it's posted. And this is a special week. we got one more episode planned for this Friday. A couple special guests to talk about the sports we haven't covered this week, baseball and NFL football. You're not going to want to miss that. Once again, my name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. Enjoy the rest of your week.